There's a challenging verse from the book of James that talks about this. It's on the front page of your bulletin, and it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So if we only hear a message from God's word and don't do anything in response to it, we're deceiving ourselves. And Satan loves it when we just hear God's word and don't do anything with it. So today we're going to focus on some ways to respond to God's invitation to find rest in him. And first we're going to hear from a couple in our congregation who is engaged in the practice of Sabbath. And then I'm going to share some resources with you that will help you get started to go further in the practice of Sabbath. And then we will briefly look at a text that exposes a major obstacle to our responding to God's invitations. And then we'll meet at the Lord's table. So I'd like to invite Pastor Serge and his wife Jeanette to come forward at this time. Serge has shared with us in our staff and pastors and elders meetings about this practice of Sabbath that he and Jeanette have engaged in. And I'd like you to hear more about it from them. And so here they are, Serge, Jeanette. Why did you start practicing Sabbath? So a few years ago, I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And um, after reading that book, I felt really um, convicted to start practicing Sabbath in a real and tangible way. And also, um, if Jesus practiced Sabbath, why am I not practicing Sabbath? Well, uh, it was a bit of a journey there because uh, it was not easy to start practicing Sabbath for me. Uh, there was a lot of resistance at first. I saw the cost. I... I I'm a bit of a workaholic, to be honest, and uh, so that's a, a trend that I needed to address in my life, and uh, it sounds, it's a badge of honor in our, in our culture, but it's not good uh, for, uh, at many other levels. So I saw the cost and uh, the, the mindset that I had created a lot of resistance, and so when Jeanette invited me to start practicing Sabbath last year, maybe the year before, I thought, I don't have time to practice Sabbath. I, I look at all the stuff that needs to be done uh, around me at home, at work, stuff like that. I don't have time to practice Sabbath. That was kind of a very foolish uh, statement. Uh, first, my understanding of the concept of Sabbath was totally defi defi deficient. Uh, I had a common evangelical uh, I think understanding of Sabbath, that's for the Old Testament, the people of God of Israel. Now that we are under the New Covenant, uh, we go to church on Sunday morning, get a little bit of rest in the afternoon if you can, and that's about it. Well, the thing is that I work on Sunday, so it's not a day of rest. And so um, I had to rethink uh, the, the concept of Sabbath, and uh, by this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier in the year, uh, I came through a period of, of ministry that was uh, very extenuating. 
uh, very exhausting and uh, so in May uh, when things wind down a little bit all the stress tends to come up and so I thought uh, maybe uh, I need to rethink Jeanette's invitation and I read the same book she did uh, way before I did the ruthless elimination of hurry as she said and then I realized it opened my eyes to how much stress there was in my life, how much hurry there was in my life, and uh, that it wasn't even an enemy of our spiritual lives. And then I started to read as well about the concept of Sabbath, uh, and it was so rich, such of a blessing uh, to understand the depth and meaning of Sabbath and the place that God has assigned to Sabbath in, uh, in our lives. So that's, uh, that's how I started to uh, join Jeanette to practice uh, a day of rest per week. Because we work, uh, because I work on Sunday, uh, we don't do it on Sunday, we do it on Saturday. Uh, most of you are not working on Sunday, so you can do it on, on, um, on, on Sunday. So we start Friday at six o'clock, and we end up Saturday at 5 or 6 o'clock. So, yeah, would you like to say something? <laughs> uh, so the next question was, what challenges did you face in starting and continuing in the practice of Sabbath? So when we decided to do a 24-hour um, Sabbath, well, you do sleep in part of that, so that takes care of some of the hours, but um, you kind of have to have a plan which is why the Jewish people would have a day of preparation. So Friday during the day, I will make sure that my cleaning is done and all my errands are done. And if I have baking or whatever to do, I get ready for that. And also just to really think through what we're gonna do on our day. Because um, when you, we turn off our social media, we turn off our phones, um, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no computers. It's total unplugging. So we all know that when we're bored, we all tend to just pull out our phone. So we have to really be prepared for those time of boredom and to know what to do. So that was one resistance. Also, um, another resistance Serge also mentioned was a lot of people said, well, why do you need to do it? You already have Sunday and that's Old Covenant. So there is that um, resistance that we felt as well and really just taking the time to prepare for the day. It takes some creativity and it takes some planning to, to get ready for that day. So some of the challenges uh, were the same for me as they were for Jeanette. Uh, Friday evening, the end of the week, your brain is dead. Uh, so TV is a good way, quote unquote, to relax. So we would watch TV a little bit in the evening. And so cutting TV on Friday evening was a bit of a challenge because it's like your body needs it. It's like it brings dopamine to your body to reward your, your body with this time of relaxation. So it was a little bit of a challenge to let go of that. Uh, let go of the watching the news as well. I'm a little bit of a news junkie on the internet, checking a few sites for news. That was a challenge to do that as well. Not impossible, it's just a learning curve. Uh, also to let go of, of the mindset of, of worry and thinking about, oh, I have this to do, I have that to do, and stuff like that, these things comes to mind, and then you have to discipline yourself to say, no, I'm not gonna do that, I'm not even gonna think about that, because today is a day of rest, not mm. a day of worry, it's not a day of obligation, 
It's just a day to honor our, our body, our mind, and to honor God. And so that was part of the challenge. So starting to new habits, it's a bit of an adjustment, but it's totally feasible. And this is great. Eh? We're, we're, we're getting lots of confession from Serge. He's a workaholic. He's a junkie uh, for news. So yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what's next. Uh, what do you actually do during Sabbath? So for us, Sabbath starts uh, Friday night. So we, I love pizza, so we always order pizza. We have a favorite uh, pizza spot in Spruce Grove. And um, we order pizza. We eat together. Um, it, depending on the weather, we'll go for a walk in nature. Um, we live pretty close to Chickakoo Lake, so we'll go there, walk the trails there. If the weather is lousy, sometimes we'll go for a drive. That's what we enjoy doing. We enjoy being out in the country and driving in the country. Um, Saturday, we always have breakfast together as a couple, and we kind of prepare our day with worship music. Um, we listen to a podcast. Um, from a person that we really enjoy listening to that helps us in our journey. Um, we also spend the day biking. Um, that's in the summertime. Uh, Wintertime, we do different things. It's just really taking time to plan out the day, to think through the day. Um, we can be going to a museum. It can be going to a really good Christian movie. We've had a lot of those lately. And just really spending time, our focus is really just on Jesus and on being with one another and in being doing things together. So we also have a few rituals. Uh, they're not necessary, but they're nice markers. So Friday we used to, not so much anymore, but light a candle uh, on Friday at 6. Um, and we also have a box uh, in the kitchen where we put our phone and our devices in to remove the temptation. Um, we all do. We also do other uh, soul care practices, like she mentioned, uh, listening to podcasts and stuff like that. So we also take time to reflect, to pray, uh, also uh, to listen to spiritual formation material. We share what we learn uh, and and talk about the impacts it has on our lives. Uh, we, it's a time to connect with God, to connect with one another, and to connect with ourselves as well, uh, to connect with our soul and see what needs to be dealt with, what needs to be uh, confessed or, uh, you know, cleansed and stuff like that. So uh, we have a, a handout. There are some handouts that Pastor Tom will so we're probably to refer to at the end of the service available in the foyer. One of them is about ideas of activities that you can practice uh, for Sabbath because you think, oh, it's a day where you do nothing, it's boring. Well, no, it's not the case. Uh, there are tons of things uh, that you can do that are very refreshing for your body, your mind, and your soul, and it's an adjustment like I mentioned. And lastly, um, what has been the benefit to you individually and as a couple? So for me individually, I wanted to, um, to deepen my walk with Christ. So that has been a total benefit just because it's a day set apart. There's no pressure. There's no to-do list. There's no, there's, there's no distractions. It's the, the house is quiet. We're quiet. 
and it's really a t gives you time to think. Um, we live in a very busy world that just keeps us going and keeps us distracted, and we need that time of, of not having distractions and time of, of having time to reflect and to think and to, to listen and to just be quiet. It also really actually makes you tired. Um, most of the time on Friday night, um, we go to bed usually around 10, 10.30, but on Friday nights by 9 o'clock, we're both exhausted, and yet we've just rested for the whole evening. So it really brings um, a sense of rest. I don't know if it's because we're not on screens or, or what it is, but we're just we're ready for rest. Um, so we are getting more rest, and we are getting more time together, and we're getting time in nature and doing things that we really enjoy doing. So it's been very beneficial as a couple and beneficial personally, spiritually as well. Yeah, so uh, benefit uh, definitely is rest, but it's a learning curve to learn to rest when you're, you know, uh, used to go, go, go on a regular basis. It's a learning curve to learn to rest and to adjust to, to that. Uh, and I, I talked about uh, this uh, before, soul care. Uh, it's very beneficial to do soul care. We all underestimate uh, this aspect of our being. We often don't take care of it. I'm the first to admit it, um, but realize that if you don't do that, you're going to pay for it. So there is a great benefit to pay attention to the inner life of your person. Um, so understanding, it's also about understanding the gift of grace, because Sabbath is a mm. gift from God. Uh, you know, you may think, oh, I feel guilty for not doing anything. It's almost a sin in our culture to not do anything. Uh, I felt like that for a while, and I realized it's a gift from God. Why do I need to feel guilty and not enjoy this? So the benefit is to learn to enjoy God's grace mm. and, and mercy through this. Uh, it's, it's the benefit as well of reorienting our life to God's rhythm as he revealed in scriptures and Genesis as well as in the Ten Commandments. Uh, so it's a special practice that we, we prepare for and that we enjoy. So it's something to delight in and to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it brought us, when it comes to uh, us as a couple, it brought us closer together because it's just something that we commit together, mm. we practice mm -hmm. together. Uh, it's not one on, on, on one end and the other on the other end. No, we, there are certain things we do individually, but most of the day is spent together as well. So it, it brought us closer together because we have this big cornerstone of our faith now that we practice uh, together. So it's a, it, the benefit as well is to, when you study and read about Sabbath, the richness of, of the concept and what God has in mind behind it and, and that it is something that, that God practices as well, not for the same reason that, uh, uh, as us, but it gives us a better understanding of God's uh, person, God's plan, because uh, Sabbath is uh, a doorway to experience shalom mm. and that's something that we need to learn to do as as christians because that's the cornerstone the, the the kingdom of god so thank you for giving us this opportunity to share our experience and uh, yes there is benefit as james says to con confess our sins to one another 
like Pastor <laughs> Tom well, mentioned before. I just wanted to share with you because I've been hearing about this from Serge constantly over the last year, and it's it's been great to hear. And uh, so you have Serge and Jeanette. You know them. You can talk with them. Uh, further about what they're practicing. Thank you for sharing with us today, and uh, we look forward to learning more from you guys about this. So thank you. Next, I promised you some resources to explore this further. And on the table by the front doors on the way out, we have three resources. Uh, two of them are by the same author. One is called Sabbath, Four Countercultural Practices to Start and Keep a Biblical Sabbath. And the second one is Sabbath Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, these were written by a guy named Pete Scazzaro, who is the author and founder of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Ministry. And he's written several books on this topic, and it came out of his own life and his dysfunction as a pastor. He was doing the work of three to four people in his job as a pastor. And he thought that was godly, wise, respectable, and necessary. But then his wife stopped enabling this continuing pattern. She stopped saying to him that it's okay for you to go and leave me and leave the kids because it's the church. She even stopped attending his church and went somewhere else and told him, your leadership and the way that you live is not worth following. This was a huge wake-up call for him, and it sent him on a journey to discover why he lived like he did, which led to the Emotionally Healthy Ministry. And I've listened to several of his podcasts. They are biblical, humble, and very helpful. And part of his healing journey involved incorporating the practice of Sabbath into their lives. So if you are ready to dive into Sabbath, I encourage you to pick up one of these. This is the paper copy, or you can go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. And I think we have that um, on, the, on the PowerPoint or on that thing. The, yeah, emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. You, if you just go to that page, then you can get your own digital copy of this. Also, the frequently asked questions thing is for those of you who aren't sure about Sabbath and are, are interested in discovering what is it all about. And these are his frequently asked questions, and they might help you as well uh, address some of the questions that you heard about from Serge and Jeanette as they began to go into this. And then Serge also mentioned the uh, material that they use, and so we have a copy of that as well, the Sabbath practice. That's also at the uh, practicingtheway.org, and uh, there's more information there for you to guide you in the start of the practice of Sabbath. So we've got Serge and Jeanette's testimony, we've got the resources at the back table, and now we're going to talk about what I think is one of the major obstacles to us actually responding to the invitations of God. And it's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. You want to find that in your Bibles. It's on page 706. And this incident happens immediately after the Pharisees and Jesus clash about Sabbath. 
And so some of his disciples are picking grains from a, uh, the heads of grain from a grain field during Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, just to feed themselves, and they have this clash. And near the end of their clash, Jesus says, was the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says, indeed, the Son of Man, meaning himself, is Lord over the Sabbath. Lord over the Sabbath. And as you just heard from Serge and Jeanette, now they have this weekly focus on Sabbath coming together. Imagine a whole culture focused on Sabbath. That's what Jewish culture was like. And it was a huge piece of their culture, a huge piece of what they were, of what they were doing. Things revolved around Sabbath. And for Jesus to claim he is Lord over the Sabbath was an outrageous statement to them. They knew he was claiming to be God. So that has just happened, and now look what happens in Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Or some of your translations say how to kill him. So it's Sabbath day. Jesus goes to the synagogue where a man with a withered hand is in attendance and some Pharisees are also there. And the Pharisees were a Jewish religious group or sect who took God's law very seriously. So they wanted to honor God in the way that they lived, and they came up with this commentary on the law to try to help people understand it, how to live it out. But it became this huge volume of rules. And they came up with a list or multiple lists on the things that you could and could not do on Sabbath. And one item on that list was you could not heal in the sense of practicing medicine. They thought that practicing medicine, they didn't use that terminology, they used healing, violated the cease from work principle. So it'd be kind of like saying to doctors today, you need to close your practice on the Sabbath day. And then they hear about Jesus, and they've already disputed with him about Sabbath, and they hear that he heals. So they're wondering, I wonder if we can catch him healing on the Sabbath. And notice in verse 2, their purpose is stated. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. So the Pharisees have not gone to synagogue to worship. They have not gone to hear the word of the Lord. They have gone to find grounds for accusation. And they go watch to see if they will heal this man with a withered hand. And it makes me wonder, was he a regular attender there? Or did they pay him to be there to entrap Jesus? And there's something else that jumps out to me. Isn't 
healing a good thing no matter when it happens? And doesn't this already give us notice of something wrong in their hearts? It's like they don't care about the man with the withered hand. He's just a tool in their investigation. Their primary purpose is to get Jesus. But he knows exactly what's going on. And he could have completely avoided the situation if he wanted to. He could have remained silent. He could have gotten up and left. Instead, he calls the man with the withered hand to stand in front of everyone. It would be like me calling someone from the congregation to stand right here to be healed. And then he looks to the Pharisees and asks them this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was God's invention for our good. And Jesus appeals to these Pharisees to think about God's purpose for Sabbath. But they were silent, meaning they had no answer. They had no comeback. It is lawful on the Sabbath to do good, to save life. But their silence reveals they would not admit this and their hearts remained unmoved. So look at Jesus' response in verse 5. And this is the critical verse. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And here we find a primary reason we may resist God's invitations in our lives. Hardness of heart. And when we think of a hard-hearted person, we think of someone who is cold and callous and cruel. And sometimes the Pharisees exhibited those kinds of characteristics or actions. But in Hebrew, hard heart refers to a stubborn resistance to the purposes of God. It's the opposite of humility and teachableness that God requires. It can be a form of pride it involves attitude, will, and mind. So a hard-hearted person resists God and resists his ways. So you could be talking to a hard-hearted person towards God who is friendly to you, but is resistant to God in all his ways, or spiritually blind to some area in their lives that God wants to talk about. And these Pharisees serve as a perfect example. Jesus is about to do a great work in this man's life, but they focus more on their own Sabbath rules. They will totally miss God's work here. Yet Jesus will not let their hard hearts prevent him from doing good, he says to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretches it out, and his hand is healed. And again we see that Jesus' word is action. In speaking, the man is healed. And remember a couple of weeks ago we saw when he healed the man laying by the pool, he healed simply by speaking. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Stretch out your hand. His healing is, or his speaking is action. And then the Pharisees respond. And do this, oh, isn't that wonderful? Someone was healed. No. They get up, they go out, and they meet with the Herodians to plot his death. Which is ironic because the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. 
The Herodians were this group of, of Jews who loved power and were cooperating with the Romans to rule the land. Whereas the Pharisees hated the Romans because they were oppressors. They were scrupulous about God's laws. So these two groups hate each other. But Jesus has so threatened both of them that they decide they're going to come together to find out or figure out how to destroy them. And this reveals how a hard heart can warp our minds. Apparently, according to these Pharisees, healing, doing good on the Sabbath was unlawful, but plotting murder was okay. And Jesus confronts and reveals their hardened hearts by doing good on the Sabbath. They thought they were defending the Sabbath, but they missed the Lord of the Sabbath in whom they could find rest and renewal. So, what can we learn from this passage that can help us pursue rest and renewal in God? Number one, we need to ask the Lord to reveal in us any hard-heartedness towards Christ. And it might show up in our lives as outright rejection of God and his ways. It might creep in slowly but surely as we let something else take priority in our lives over God. Or hard-heartedness might take hold when we think we're done growing in Christ. And we think we don't have anything more to learn. And we think we don't need to change. But in the Christian life, our need to grow never ends until we die or Christ comes back. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, when Christ returns. But before that day, we need to keep growing. We cannot settle into complacency and be comfortable. Otherwise, it is more likely that our hearts will harden toward the things of God. And in my own life, I began participating in a ministry called Church Renewal in September of 2021. It's a, it, it, it involves a weekly online pastor's peer mentoring group meeting. And when I first thought about doing this and joining this, I thought to myself, like, do I need renewal? In my life, I, I walk with God, I, I pray, I read my Bible, I work in the church. Yet this journey has brought God's renewing work into my life in a fresh and new way. The Lord has spoken to comfort me. He has shown his love for me. He has brought renewal in my heart. He has opened my eyes to areas of my life that need more work or that need healing. He has restored my soul and renewed my spirit. And though I have been a Christian for over 50 years, I continually need to open myself up to God's work in my life. I need to submit myself to the testing of his word. I need to stop and respond to that which he reveals to me that I need to work on or that he needs to work on. And then I need to ask for his strength and his power to act on it. But it won't happen if... I remain blind or resistant to God if I let hard-heartedness creep into my heart. So an excellent prayer to pray regarding this is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's on the back page of your bulletin as well under point one there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
So that's step one. Ask the Lord to reveal any hard-heartedness in us towards Christ. Two, ask the Lord to start or continue his renewing work in your life. And we saw this last summer when we were going through the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 11, verse 19, the Lord says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to and open to the things of God. Or you may have heard the prayer from Psalm 51, Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And Christians, we need continual renewing of our hearts by God. And this does not only refer to our emotions, because when we think of heart, we think emotions, right? That's, oh, follow your heart. That's your emotions. That's how you feel. But the Hebrew understanding of heart was the totality of the person, head, decision-making. All are included in this. We need head and heart, mind and emotions renewed by the Lord. And some of you here today or watching online may have never received this new heart in your life. Maybe you believe it is impossible to change and you have been dealt a deck of cards by life that you just have to pray, pay or play and, and that's it. You're not going to change. You'll never be different. Yet Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. He has come so that we might be made new. And I've listed for you several scriptures on the back talking about this new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Romans 6.4. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or Colossians 3, 9 and 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. So Jesus came to give us this new life by dealing with our old life. And we've all sinned against God and against others. We've adopted attitudes and behaviors that can harm ourselves and others. And we don't need some slight external change of behavior. We need a completely new heart and a transformed way of thinking. And that happens when we receive Christ into our lives. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, and believe there does not mean mental, just mental assent. It means whole life commitment. Believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you desire to receive Christ into your life, to turn away from life apart from him, to receive this new heart and the life he promises, you can do that. And I've included for you a little prayer there that you can pray, Lord Jesus, I need you and I need a new heart. I turn away from my old life apart from you and I receive you into my life as Savior and as Lord. And he will come in. 
And using Jesus' language, you will be born again. And you will receive that new heart from God. And you will begin the journey of learning and discovering and experiencing new life in Christ. So first, ask God to reveal hard-heartedness. Second, ask the Lord to start or continue his renewing work in your heart. And third, find joy in the Lord on Sabbath. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Might that transform our resistance to Sabbath, the possibility of finding joy in the Lord regardless of anything else that's going on in our lives. Mark Buchanan, whose book we followed along in this series entitled The Rest of God, writes, don't mistake finding your joy for getting your own way. This is not about indulging your appetites or satisfying your own sense of justice. This is not about getting what you think is owed you. This is about finding what is best. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary has chosen what is best or better, sitting at Jesus' feet. So Buchanan suggests a Sabbath practice of finding our joy in Christ by praying, Jesus how can I find my joy in you today? And then, and then we sit and we wait to see what comes to mind. And maybe Jesus will say, sit longer with me. Go visit the aging. Go help your neighbor. Go teach Sunday school or clean your desk or cook the lunch. And do it with all your heart. And Jesus knows what's best. And we'll find our joy in him. And this whole series has emphasized that when we make space in our lives for the Lord, it is much more likely that we will find rest, renewal, and joy in him.